my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Stuff's going to go wrong. And that's actually an opportunity to be better in some other way, maybe a way that you didn't intend. You know, someone is rude to you. Obviously, you wouldn't have chosen that, but now it's an opportunity to practice forgiveness. everyone, I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. He's not exactly who you would expect to advocate ancient philosophical beliefs, but media strategist turned whistleblower Ryan Holiday has devoted his life to the practice of Stoicism. In fact, many argue he's redefined what it means to be Stoic in his book, The Obstacle is the Way, and has become somewhat of a guru in demand. He's sharing his wisdom to the NFL hip-hop artists, even Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And today he's here sharing his beliefs and the easy way we can all incorporate stoicism in our lives and what it can mean for our success. I got to say, uh, Ryan, I, I heard about you first because of your other life as a media strategist and the guy's willing to talk openly about how we've gotten to this crazy place of fake news, fake advertising and everything around. But it's my mother-in-law who's been pounding at me. Well, you uh, actually heard about him first. From We just didn't know it was Ryan. Oh yeah, She's I, been it, sending us your daily stoic, like once a week. So this one's really important. That's so cool. And yeah, you didn't have a name, though. No, you, 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 you were, you were the, just the, the stoic. You were the stoic, as stoics are. For a while. That's uh, so what I thought. Uh, yeah. You were the same person. I was stunned. Was, for a while, I was trying to triangulate it. can't be. I mean, how many Ryan holidays in Austin are there? <laughs> uh, but you write in a similar vein. And I would love if you could share some of the wisdom behind Stoicism with our listenership and particularly why you think is resonating so much. Why is this ideology catching America? Well, philosophy has, has captivated and helped people for thousands of years. It's only somewhat recently that we've started to see philosophy as this sort of abstraction, you know, like what a turtlenecked university professor would talk about that has no sort of real impact on the real world. But in the ancient world, philosophy was what they, they said. It's the guide to the good life. It's how to solve the problems of life, how to control your temper, how to find meaning, how to get through a difficult time. And so— It was I, ancient self-help. It, ex- exactly. And, you know, before Christianity, it was the sort of a, a guidebook for how to live. It was like an operating system for your life. And so I've tried to sort of redefine philosophy in that line and, and make it accessible to people— 
specifically Stoicism, which I think is sort of the most interesting and practical of, of the ancient philosophies, like the idea that Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, was studying and writing about philosophy every single evening or every single morning, to me, is just this wonderful insight. And then what did this guy learn? And what did he find about himself? Uh, what did he pass along to us? that we can benefit from today. And what's so cool, so Marcus Aurelius is the emperor of Rome and he's studying philosophy, but his favorite philosopher is this guy named Epictetus, who's a former slave. So you have this extreme, this philosophy that works in extreme adversity and extreme success. And it's tried and true, you know, over the centuries. I wanted to make that as accessible to people as possible. Define stoicism if you can. So my definition of Stoicism is that the Stoic believes they don't control the world around them, but they always control how they respond. And so it's this sort of empowering, I think, moving approach to life. So instead of trying to change what other people think or trying to fix the past, it's I'm going to focus on how I can respond to adversity, to success, to difficulty, to my own emotions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on being the best, on being excellent in any and every situation. To me, that's what the Stoic is trying to do. Sounds like me, Lisa. <laughs> 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 All right, so you're 19 years old, by the way, when you read this quote from Marcus Aurelius, the, the, the emperor. It's in meditations. Again, these are his, his personal diary. Really. Yeah. Our actions may be impeded, but there can be no impeding our intentions or our dispositions because we can accommodate and adapt the mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacle to our living. And then you could go on. How, how these words impacted you? And I, it's, it's a restated version of what you just said, but it's yeah. the fact that someone 2,000 years ago was having the same darn problems we're having today. And this is a guy who had unlimited power, right? This is a guy who you'd think would never face obstacles, but he in fact faces them all the time. And what he's telling himself is like, look, this might not have gone the way that I wanted. This situation isn't how I would like it to be. But I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to whine about it. I'm not going to be upset by it. I'm not going to waste time deciding whether it's fair or unfair. I'm going to focus all my energy on making this into something. And so what I think Marcus is saying is that stuff's going to go wrong. And that's actually an opportunity to be better in some other way, maybe a way that you didn't intend. You know, someone is rude to you. Obviously, you wouldn't have chosen that. But now it's an opportunity to practice forgiveness or you're stuck in traffic. You could be upset by it or you could say, hey, I'm going to call my mom and just talk to her for 20. I'm going to use this time to some beneficial end or I'm going to use this situation as an opportunity to improve myself or to improve the world in some way. Traffic is the one exception. Yeah, yeah, for him, <laughs> you anyway. You can't be a stoic in traffic. It's you impossible. You, some people can. <laughs> I bet Ryan can. Oh, no. I mean, look, I think I think if you think about Marcus Aurelius saying these things, you know, he's talking about why you shouldn't lose your temper. The way I read it is he probably lost his temper that day. And now he's sitting home, he's, he's calmed down, and he's reflecting on where he fell short and how he can get better. And so... That's the other thing. Philosophy isn't this like sort of set of principles that you learn one time. It's actually this process, right? The idea even of journaling, like, hey, I'm going to sit down and just work through my thoughts and I'm going to put myself up for review is how we get better. Right. And that to me is what, what makes this philosophy this sort of lifelong pursuit. Well, you just said how we get better. There's something implied in the title of your book, The Obstacle is the Way. And the implication is that it's actually the obstacle that gets you to where you need to be. That, that, that's not, the obstacle is necessary yeah. and actually helps create 
who you, it is your path. The obstacle becomes your path. Well, I'll give you an example. When I was writing my first book, I just, I moved to New Orleans and that's where I was going to be a writer. And this is Trust Me, I'm Lying. This is Trust Me, I'm Lying. And I, I probably, I was just started the book and I was riding my bike and I got stuck in a streetcar track and I fell and I broke my left arm. Oh my goodness. And I, I'm, Are you left-handed? I'm, I'm left-handed. Oh no. So, you know, I just, I'd quit my job. I'd moved across the country. I was supposed to write this book and now I can't type or I can only type with one hand very slowly. I'm worst, in a sling. The worst. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm despairing. I'm upset by this. You know, and, and I run and swim almost every day. And so I'm going out of my mind. Like, I can't exercise my, my arms in this thing. So I have to start going for these long walks just to get so I don't go crazy. So I'm going for these long walks. And it's actually in the process of these long walks that I start to have the ideas for what become the book, right? It's in the course of sort of having to do this thing that I didn't want to do, that had totally disrupted my plans, that I thought was unfair, that I thought was going to be this huge setback that I end up going down this totally different road, sort of literally, that unlocks the insights that are in that book. And I think if I'd had it my way, it, I, it wouldn't have been as good. You know, if we think about the worst things that have happened to us in life, with time, we come to see that these things opened up certain opportunities or they changed us for the better, that if we could go back in time, maybe we wouldn't even change them. And so what the Stoic wants you to realize is that you don't have to wait till 20 years after to have that insight. You can realize it as it's happening. So this phrase Stoic optimism, which I've seen bantered around a bit. Yeah. Help me understand that. Well, people think Stoicism is pessimism, that it's this sort of, you know. Grin and bear it. It is what it is. Yeah, Yeah. have no emotions, you know. But actually, no, it's saying. Is that what the word Stoic means? Well, there's sort of lowercase stoic, which means no have emotion, have no emotions, and then uppercase stoic, which is this sort of philosophical, you know, this this school, this this idea, this way of living. In the way that Epicureanism is not hedonism at right. all, it's actually a very interesting philosophy. Um, so I think to me, stoic optimism is saying, look, there's a whole lot of things that are outside of my control. That's fine, but there is this one thing that is in my control, which is my own thoughts, my own attitudes, my own actions. And so I'm going to focus entirely on that and that that's plenty and that I can I can change the world by focusing on that thing, on what I control. And obviously, this is easy to say. It's hard to do in reality. I mean, I struggle with it every day. But to me, it's very optimistic to say, look, the world can knock me around. It can kick my ass. But I'm going to I control that I'm going to get up each time and then I'm going to keep going and then I'm not going to be deterred. There's lots more where that came from, but first, a quick break. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. All that said and done, 
I actually think the biggest problem we face is not so much the obstacles in our way, but ourselves, our egos. Yes. Which is interesting. The ego is the enemy. My thing is there's no obstacle that n- some good can't be sort of uh, wrung out of. And then there's no situation that ego is a positive element. That we, <laughs> We're never like, hey, let's get some more ego in this room. That'll, that'll help things. And so I, I want to be constantly reminded of those things. There's a great line from one of the Stoics, uh, Epictetus. He says, it's impossible to learn that which you think you already know. Oh, and that, so perfect. <laughs> that's ego right there, right? If you if you think you know everything, you can't learn anything more. And so I, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm just constantly trying to keep those sort of mantras in my mind that the, the obstacle is always the way and, and ego is, is always the enemy. Well, this is where it's interesting uh, to bring ego and youth into the juxtaposition. You need ego to separate from your parents, to have confidence that you can go out in life. In surgery, my day job, uh, it's fascinating to see how ego plays a role in young surgeons versus older surgeons because the young guys got to get they, they got to get their antlers sharpened up. They got to feel like they can do it all. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, you don't want a timid surgeon in there. Sure. You got to take a knife and cut you open. He needs to have the arrogance to think he can do it, but it has to be controlled arrogance. The operative yeah. word being controlled there, not arrogance. And so, I, it's wonderful to watch ego play a role in making you who you are, and then humbleness that comes from trying to do what you want to do, theoretically pushing ego down. Why doesn't that normally work? Why is it that ego suffocates the lessons we should learn from experience? Well, I think oftentimes what happens is that when we're extraordinarily talented or when there is someone who's extraordinarily talented, their ego sort of helps them on the way up. And then once they get there, now all of a sudden it's, it is their enemy. It, it is it's preventing flaw. them from getting better. People were willing to put up with your ego on your ascent, and now you have so much more to lose. So in, in the book, I make the distinction between ego and confidence. I think confidence is extraordinarily important. Confidence to me is based on evidence. I know I can do this. I've done this before. I'm a fast learner. I put in the work. I'm not going to be a quitter. Ego is well, I just want this to be true. Or, or you know, my, mo- my mother said I was special, so of course I'm special, right? <laughs> and so, so to me, that ego is really dangerous. Like when you start to believe that you're untouchable or that you have everything you touch turns to gold, that's when you make big mistakes and you hurt yourself and the people around you. When you have a, you know, a belief in yourself based on evidence because you've put in the work because you, you're sticking to this, that's really important. Well, self-esteem is a fascinating uh, place of research. And there was so much written 20, 30 years ago about the need to increase people's self-esteem because insecurity is a, an anxiety. I mean, it's such an important part of all of our lives. In fact, yeah. I'm always wondering why, are, why isn't everybody anxious, depressed, even suicidal? Yeah. The fact that we're not all there is sure. actually reflective of the human condition that we actually have coping. Goals. Life is quite terrifying if you <laughs> think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. Uh, or think about it the right way. But the thing with self-esteem is inappropriately high self-esteem is one of the unifying factors around serial killers sure, and true sociopaths. And so there, there, there is a real problem when we push people to have uh, confidence when it's not evidence-based. Yeah. To, to me, it's, a, it's about co- having confidence and humility. So an, an real self-awareness about our strengths is really important. If you don't believe you can do something, you're not going to be able to do it. You don't want to, as you said, you don't want a timid surgeon who's not sure he can do the surgery. At the same time, you would like um, the surgeon or uh, a writer or a politician to also be aware, uh, even a parent, to be aware of their weaknesses and their flaws so they're not overreaching, so they're, they're asking for help, so they're, they've got contingency plans. I think it's about what the Stoke would say. It's about having a knowledge of our strengths, 
where we, we have control, and then the humility to know where we're weak or we're flawed or where it's out of our control. The last thing you want is surgeon who thinks he's God because, uh, you know, he's, he's probably going to end up realizing his fallibility at some point, and you don't want to be under on the operating table when that happens. Yeah, someone else's expense. I think we have a tendency to think of ego as that confidence, as that success principle, but I think most of us are more ego invested in our moments of failure. Yes. And so it's like, what I see with the ego is it's when we need what we want. So when you're in a fight with your spouse, it's not that you're so confident that you feel it's your desperation to win. So yeah. I think people listening, you, you're not ego invested if you're just, just a master of the universe. I think every single one of us has that attachment to what we feel like we want. I, to- I totally agree. So on the on the one hand, what's really dangerous is obviously when you associate your success uh, and your worth as a person. Because what happens when you experience the inevitable setbacks in life? Right. You know, you you should be strong enough that someone can disagree with you. Uh, you should be strong enough. If you think your car says you're a special person, right. well, what happens if you can't afford that car anymore? What happens if you get fired? You know, so uh, in, in a way, ego, ego makes us really vulnerable. You know, the Stokes are talking about how capricious fate is, that, you know, that life can sort of just Turn everything upside down like that. And if, you're, if, if you've become addicted to what you have, to your status, to your fame, to your reputation, or, or to just, you know, always being right or always winning, then failure is going to hurt a thousand times worse than it needs to. And so ideally, yeah, you want to be in this place where you're like, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. Whether I'm on top of the world or I'm public enemy number one right now, that doesn't change me because it's out, you know, the Stoics are talking about externals, like the things that are outside us. They don't change what's inside us. And that's really important. So you, you make the argument in the whole Stoic movement, I think, emphasizes this, that your attitude, right, your approach is what you control, what, what matters. But sometimes bad stuff happens to people. Yeah. If you're falling on your elbow yeah. is, is a minor version of that, right? Sure. But, you know, terrible car accidents, you lose loved ones, et cetera. So how, how does a Stoic deal with those? Well, we... we we go, look, uh, things happen, right? Like the idea that life is always going to go your way um, is naive. And, and actually, one of the things the Stoics talk about, they do this, they do what they call negative visualization. Uh, the, the Latin phrase is primitatio malorum. So Seneca says, so he's one of the famous Stokes, he says, all the terms of the human condition should be before our eyes. So when some, somebody goes bankrupt, you don't go, sucks to be them. You go, that could happen to me. Uh, when uh, you tuck your kid in at night, you go, look, there's a chance that they might not wake up in the morning. And so I'm going to appreciate them right now, right in this moment. And I'm also going to sort of prepare myself for the fact that there's so much outside of my control. And so this sort of thinking about the full extent of the possibilities and being sort of strong and prepared to deal with all of them, I think is what, you know, the, the Stokes are saying that, um, uh, the blows of fortune fall heavily, fall, fall most heavily on on the one who doesn't think it can happen. And so I think that's one of the ways that we deal with those things is we don't tell ourselves that life is going to go exactly the way we want it to go. We have a little humility and we go, things that happen are, that are outside of my control. And how how would I respond if that happened? Am I, am I prepared for it? Is, is that the story you tell yourself? Is that the story we should be all telling ourselves? I think so. Look, I, I flew here yesterday and as I... I said to myself as I was driving there, look, I got a busy day tomorrow. I'm getting on this plane. Uh, it could be delayed. Uh, you know, uh, there could be terrible traffic on the way in. Uh, I, the trip could get canceled. 
I always tell myself, you know, when an article is going to be written about me, I go, look, this could be a hit piece or it could get canceled. Um, it could also be amazing. Am I prepared to take advantage of it if, it if it goes the way that I would like it to be? Do you try to not be attached to the outcome? I, I, I try really and I try to work myself through. I try to think about it. Again, the last thing you want to do is show up at the gate for your plane and it says two hours, and you're the guy that just starts screaming at this poor woman working at the counter as if she's responsible. It's like, life is responsible. This happens. What's your plan to respond to that? Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important part of the lifestyle. There's last more to come, but first, a quick break. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. You, you talk about meditating on your mortality. Yeah. Most of us get scared about the thought of death. Sure. In part because we get into the very physical part of it. You know, what happens to my body when it actually decomposes? What's, what am I going to look like 12 yeah. hours later? Where, where, where do I go? Uh, how does a stoic meditate on their mortality? Well, I, so I keep this coin in my pocket, and it just says, it's a, it's a stoic thing. It says, memento mori. Uh, and then on the back, it has this quote from Marcus Aurelius. He says, you could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. And so to me, thinking about the fact that we're mortal, that, you know, we could we could live to be 100 or we could die tomorrow um, or you could get hit by a bus when I step outside after this um, sort of keeps me in the present moment. It motivates me to take advantage of everything that's in front of me and also not to take insignificant things too seriously. Mm -hmm. And and so what's so lovely about meditations is. Marcus Aurelius is, is talking constantly about death, but not in a pessimistic way, in a way that's sort of empowering and I think very much about living every second of your life. And, you know, the Stokes talk a lot about, like, why would you fear death when death is a cessation of all of the things that you're afraid of, right? Like, um, sure, there's going to be things that you'd miss if you die, but the Stokes point out that you won't be around to miss them. So why, <laughs> why, waste, why waste a single second now, when you could be appreciating those things, fearing this thing that is beyond you and life. So how does a Stoic deal with FOMO, fear of missing out, which is a tactic I use <laughs> with my kids all the time? How so? Uh, we're at a fa- we, we just happened. We were on a family vacation. I want to go somewhere. Kids don't want to come. Of course, you have you know, four adult-aged children. They have you know, 16 different ideas what to do. Yeah. All of them better than yours, by the way. And they love JOMO, which is the joy of missing out, just staying home and getting in bed and being I loved, I love that, yeah. <laughs> but they, their, mother, their, mother, their mother likes JOMO. Their father like, is the big FOMO person. So it's the usual thing. I'm, I'll, I'll say something like, I'm going down to see this uh, this town. It's uh, you know apparently the most spectacular place ever built by mankind. And you haven't really lived till you've seen it, but uh, it's not a big deal if you miss it. Sure. I'll be back later tonight. It's going to take— Prone to hyperbole, <laughs> in, case, in case you were wondering. I'm in marketing. As a father, you have to have a little bit of marketing genius. Sure, sure. But we have these struggles, and sometimes yeah. we go, it doesn't work out, and it wasn't the most spectacular, it was a complete dud, and people get mad and angry, and that's, you know, the opposite of what a Stoic's supposed to do. So how yeah. do you deal with FOMO? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Uh, to me, what, what I, I try to focus on 
experiencing whatever I'm experiencing. The Buddhists talk about this too. It's like, it's not like, oh, in the future I might get to do this. It's like right now I'm eating a bowl of soup. This is the greatest thing that ever happened, right? Sort of appreciating the the present moment rather than sort of thinking about the past constantly or worrying or lusting after the future. So I think the Stoics would probably generally be opposed to to the fear of missing out, but as a motivational tool, maybe they'd appreciate its uh, its brilliance as well. Leave us with a tactic that you find, if not universally, generally successful in getting people who are uh, skeptical to appreciate the power of Stoicism. We should realize that all these Stoics were extraordinarily busy people. You know, Marx Aurelius is the emperor of Rome, and he's saying even, that, you know, he has this great line, he says, if you seek tranquility, do less. So... He, he's like, look, part of the reason I, I don't feel good, I'm anxious, I'm, is that I'm, I'm saying yes to so many things. And he, he's even talking to himself about what's essential and what's inessential. And I think part of what Stoicism is really about is sort of narrowing down, eliminating the extraneous, so we're really focused on what's important. And, you know, I just love that ancient philosophy is actually helping you solve these sort of practical problems. It's not hey, how do we know if we're living in a computer simulation or not? Do we have free will or not? You know, it's not these, it's like, hey, how do I, um, how do I stop feeling so frenzied and frantic? And he's just like, hey, look, do less. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna feel more relaxed because you fly across the world on an expensive vacation. You're gonna feel better because you started saying no to things that don't matter. Most powerful word in the English language. Yeah, oh. and also the hardest, hardest to say. <laughs> yes, but it's only one syllable and two letters long. Ryan's great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for all your advice. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.